to the Thrive Podcast. I'm Kathleen Drennan, corporate executive turned creative entrepreneur. In this podcast, I'll share all we've learned about marketing, money, and managing your mindset. I'll provide you with the tools and templates you can use today to grow your business and move one step closer to creating your best life. Ladies, you got this. Hello, my peoples. What's going on? What's happening? It is currently the 30th of April, which means that May is one sleep away. And I'm kind of excited for a really weird, weird, sick and twisted way that only I can get excited about. (laughs) Last week, I was talking to one of my students about developing a business plan and I very quickly realized that this is a space that so many of you guys could use some help, some guidance, some teaching, some master classing, some workshopping and it is something I absolutely love, love, love talking about. I love doing, I love making them for people. So I am, today is the first installment of what I think is going to be a four part podcast series on writing a business plan for your business. Now, big disclaimer. This is a process. Writing a business plan is an undertaking, but trust me when I tell you guys, if you can put in a day's effort, a week's effort, a few hours of effort, in sitting down and putting some real intention and consideration behind figuring some of this stuff out, it is going to set you on the path of success so clearly and so quickly, you are going to be astounded by what you are capable of. And I feel like one of the major pieces that is missing from traditional floristry school and flower training is the world of business. And I know that on day one of flower school, your teacher is very quick to tell you this is not a business course. However, many, 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 many of you are choosing to embark on this major awesome adventure of being a creative entrepreneur. And the whole business side of the equation is a wee bit confusing. It is very intimidating. It is very overwhelming. It is very, dare I say, male-based, threatening, intimidating, all the big words. It is true. And it is how it's positioned in the media. And they all wear big dark suits and they're all middle-aged, mostly white men with gray hair. (laughs) So I have literally spent the last 24 hours up early, staying up late, making a template just for you to help you do just that. And yes, you will get frustrated. You will want to bang your head against the wall. I highly recommend you do not try and sit down and do this whole thing in a day. It is the more time you spend on it, the better off you will be, the more clarity you can seek. I am a definite advocate of keeping your day job and starting a flower business on the side. And once you get to the point of building enough sustainable income for yourself, then you quit your day job. That is how we started, and that is how I recommend everybody 
does it because unless you have a stash of money to get your business off the ground and for you to live off of, it takes, I would suggest somewhere between 12, 18, possibly 24 months for you to build a business with enough income, enough revenue and enough sales for you to live off of. So I don't want you to feel threatened by that whole idea. You just simply need to be aware of it, right? And you need to have a plan and you need to know that working at a coffee shop, working at the local movie theater, working in your desk job is 100% absolutely fine because then you get to go home, you get to sit down with me, sort through a business plan and hit the ground running. And if at any point during this process you get confused, you're uncertain, email me, message me, go back and listen to the podcast again. So I am going to enough with the jibber jabbers. Let us get into it. I have, as I mentioned before, created a Google Doc for you guys. So you can go to thrivepodcast.co backslash two one. So it's thrive podcast.co backslash two one and you can get access to the Google Doc. You will need to save it into your own Google Drive for you to be able to make changes to it, but uh, the link will also be in the show notes, so you can click directly there. Yay for that. So jibber jabber, schmibber jabber, let us get on with it. As I mentioned before, this is going to be a multi-part series. So today I am going to talk you through part one. Well, that seems logical, doesn't it? Part one. And part one is all about setting the foundation for your business. Now, some of these questions might feel far too obvious, but I want you to go through this exercise and some of these questions will take you two minutes to answer. Some might take you five. Some you may not know the answer to, but I highly, 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 highly recommend that you sit down and think about your dream situation. Shoot for the stars here. Like, Do not set yourself limitations, boundaries. Do not hold yourself back. And I will get into that in more detail as we go through the questions. But I really want you to open up your mind. And if I was to tell you that it is 100% absolutely possible for you to build a profitable, sustainable flower business, I want you to think about what that looks like for you. And like everything else that we talk about, guys, don't forget, you can come back, you can circle back on the stuff and change your mind at any time. For example, there's a section in here that talks about what specific products and services are you going to offer. You know what? You can decide six months from now, you can decide six years from now that you may have started something and you no longer want to do that anymore. That is entirely fine. Totally possible and amazingly awesome. Yes. Okay, so let's get into it. So part one, if you open the document, you can literally follow along with me or if you don't want to download the doc and you just want to grab pen and paper, that's good too. Whatever you fancy, guys, right? So part one, about your business, setting the foundation. Question one, which might be the most obvious, but what business are you in? So I am assuming most of you guys are flower people in some capacity. 
If you're not, then you can open your mind to something a little bit broader. And in this box, write down the business that you're in. So are you in the business of growing flowers, wholesaling flowers, selling flowers, everyday flowers to the public? Are you in the business of education and training? Are you in the business of corporate weekly flowers? Are you in the business of weddings and events? Are you in a whole different other business? Are you in the business of making containers and vessels? Are you in the business of making ribbon? Are you in the business of photography? Whatever you want to say here, this can be a very short, simple sentence, but what business are you in? Question number two, going a little bit deeper, what specific products and services do you offer? So this list can be as long or as short as you want it to be. If, for example, I was to list out the products that we offer for our retail business, that would be bouquets, posies, box arrangements, vase arrangements, some basic wiring and wedding flower work, large-scale arrangements. We also offer flowers by the stem, special orders, flowers by the bunches, walk-in, kind of like grab-and-grow posies. We also offer potted plants. We also make balloon bouquets, helium balloons, soft teddy bears, fruit baskets, wine, chocolate, Mm, I'm sure that there's a few other things that we offer, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like, so you could, I, I have suggested here, you could actually get into, if you are specific in terms of the types of products that you offer, if you want to outline the format, sizes, styles of things that you offer, you can absolutely go into as much detail as you want. Another example would be is if I talked about our wedding and events business. Right, so we offer with our weddings and events full service wedding floral design and setup and installation. So that means we'll do everything from a ceiling installation to a buttonhole for the page boy. Cake flowers to a ceremony feature. Pew ends to a flower crown. Right, you name it, we got it. We have a very limited offering of styling products. So we don't necessarily have, you know, like heaps of fabric or furniture or signage or things like that. And I'm okay that we do not sell those kind of things, but it might be that you want to get into that space, right? So what are the actual specific services that people could hire you for? Or what products do you actually sell, right? And just be really mindful of making sure you can be as clear as possible. And don't be afraid, as I mentioned earlier, do not be afraid of putting things down here that you want to try to do. So for example, in our shop in 2018, we spent a lot of energy and effort doing workshops with our customers. I realized that for me, that was a lot of work and it did not necessarily bring me as much joy and fulfillment as it might to you. So 2018, if I was, if I had filled in this document in late 2017, 2018, I would have put workshops high up on the agenda of things I wanted to do. Then come mid late 2018, gave myself permission to say, you know what? Mm, I don't think that's going to be on the cards for 2019. So it is no longer part of our business plan for 2019. Now, the exception being if 
somebody emails us, us and is trying to organize a hen's weekend flower crown, that's pretty much, sorry, I should say a hen's weekend flower crown workshop. Because those people are automatically coming to us and it's very easy to set up and facilitate, we're happy to do that, right? It involves no marketing on our point of view, no kind of advertising, no putting the message out there. People emailed us, it sits on our website and said, hey, I'm interested in this, can you let me know if you're available this weekend? The cost is on the website. We have our kind of go-to system in terms of how we staff that, the tools and thingos that we need to make that workshop happen, the room that we need to book. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So definitely falls in the category of Kathleen's, what would this look like if it was easy? <laughs> But other than that, we have decided that workshops are no longer part of what we're promoting, what we're actively talking about for our shop. Brilliant. I want to give you guys the same permission to decide to explore areas. And maybe, maybe 2019, 2020 is the year you decide you want to open up a retail shop. Absolutely. Go for it. Absolutely. 100%. Go for it. Try it out. Just know you are also allowed to decide that in 2021 and 2022 that you no longer want to be in the retail business. That's fine, right? You don't have to stick to any of these things forever. I would recommend, strongly encourage that you stick to these things for a period of time, but you don't have to stick to these things forever. So getting back on point, Kathleen. So what are the products and services that you offer? Now, getting into a space where you might just need to do a little bit of brainstorming and or also give yourself permission to figure out what your ideal staffing scenario looks like. Now, I know so many of you guys are one woman machines, right? However, what would your ideal staffing scenario look like? What would your ideal week look like? What would your ideal calendar year look like? What would your ideal month look like? How many people does it make to take? How many people does it take to make that happen? Right? So you may decide your grand ambition in life is to do 10 freaking over the top Sinclair and Moore style events a year. Right? So I can guarantee you the scale and the size of those weddings, because they're doing full event production, requires a multitude of people. If that is your dream, give yourself the time and energy to think about how you would staff such an event, right? That's what you want your business to look like. If you want your business to look like boutique weddings and you do, let's say, 15 to 20 a year, what do you want that staffing system to look like? It is entirely okay as well to very intentionally decide that your staffing model looks like you and that it looks like one person. That is entirely okay. Or you could decide that it looks like you plus a bookkeeper or you plus your accountant, or you plus a freelancer or two to help with the actual production of the weddings. Or maybe it looks like you and then your sister comes along and helps you set up on the day, or it looks like you and your husband's there to help you clean up, right? So actually sit down and think about what your staffing situation looks like, or what it looks like to you in its ideal scenario. If you're considering, or if you do run a retail shop, Think about the hours that you want that retail shop to be open, 
who is going to staff that retail shop? How many days of the week do you need to have a retail shop open to the public? Who is going to do the flower deliveries, right? So just start to think through the people you need, the people that you want to help you run the business that you want to run. Right? Again, this does not need to be perfect. You simply need to put some thought and energy into A, do you want it to be more than just you? And I would say in 99.9999999% of the cases, no matter what, it's going to be more than just you because at the very least, you're going to have an accountant help you do your taxes every year. Right? That may vary depending on the country that you're in and whether you feel comfortable enough to submit your taxes online. But... Don't be intimidated. Find yourself a good accountant. They can become your best friend. <laughs> your staffing situation may also look like you and 17 others, right? Everybody might have different job descriptions, different activities that they're responsible for. You may decide that you are the CEO of your business and then you have a head of operations. You have a wedding and events manager. You have a retail business manager. You have four staff members that kind of are on casual basis through your retail shop. You have a delivery driver. You have somebody who manages workshops for you. You have a social media manager. You have an accountant. You have a bookkeeper. You have who else might you want to put into that mix, right? So use your imagination and shoot for the stars. Now, the next question underneath that is in terms of the production of your services or product, what are the space or the tools that are required for you to do the work. So are there any special equipment needs that you have to produce the product that you want to produce? Do you need a dedicated workspace? Do you need a retail space? Do you need a studio? Do you need an office space? Right? So a couple areas to think about within this question is one, what sort of physical space requirements do you need? If you're getting into styling and hiring, how big of a storage or an inventory storage place will you require? If you are getting into weddings and events, how big of a studio space do you require? Right? And what are the actual physical requirements within that space? If you're looking into doing retail, what sort of space do you need? If you're looking into growing your own flowers, how much land do you need and what sort of tools and what's the word that I'm looking for? Equipment, yes, do you need to do that job, right? So just sit down and think very practically. In an ideal scenario, what do you want your workspace and what requirements do you need to do your job? If you're hand-dyeing silk ribbon, what sort of physical space requirements do you need? If you are making containers and vessels, what sort of space requirements do you need, right? Just sit down and think about what the physical space requirements are. Are there any specific tools or equipment that you need, right? Some of this stuff might just seem so obvious, but... Part of this exercise and part of what I'm getting you guys to do is reinforcing the fact that you are going to be setting up and that you run a legitimate business, a for-profit legitimate business, right? So take yourself out of your situation. If you were Tim Cook and you were the CEO of Apple 
computers, which is probably just known now as Apple. What sort of physical space requirements does that man need to set up for his business so that his staff can do the job that they need to do? Now, that is everything from production facilities, office facilities, design facilities, retail shop facilities, right? You see what I'm saying? It is no different for you, right? You and Tim Cook, same, same, 100% same, same. So you were sitting down to think about what are the physical assets, the space requirement, the equipment requirement, the special tools requirement that you need to do your job, list them out here. Next question, and this is a bit of a fancy word, but it's this notion of distribution. So you have a widget. Let us say it's a flower bouquet. How is your customer going to access that widget? Now, in today's internet land, with the Googles and the websites and the URLs and the tubes of the internet, this idea can be a little bit complicated, but it is actually quite straightforward. Now, Think about what you've got in one hand. Use a little bit of visualization here. So what you've got in one hand is your product. You've got your wedding designs. You've got your wholesale flowers that you've grown. You've got your silk ribbon. You've got your container. You've got your bouquet of flowers. In the other hand is your customer. How are the two going to meet up, right? In the majority of cases, this is going to have something to do with a website. But in other cases, it might be that you have a retail shop. It might be that you have a farm stand. It might be that you have a wholesale office. It might be that your customer actually comes out to the farm. It might be that people actually call you, right? So in most cases, the answer is going to be either some sort of like physical in-person space, so a retail shop, an office, a distribution center, they might call you. Or the third option is some sort of online transaction, right? So how are your customers going to access or buy your product or service, right? So it is entirely possible that you are a wedding and events florist. <laughs> that you're a wedding and events florist who works from home, right? So how are your customers going to get in touch with you? They could find you from their website, right? They could email you, they could call you, right? You don't necessarily have a studio or a retail shop that's open to or accessible to the public, right? So it's entirely okay to say in this section that your answer is website, email, phone, right? Or if you have a retail shop, then you might say retail shop, phone, website, right? So it's where, what is that kind of middleman? That's a bit of a sexist statement, isn't it? Where is that kind of bridge that your customer is going to be able to access your service or your product? For most of us, as I said, that's going to be our website or a phone or email. For some of us, it might be a retail shop. For some of you guys, it might be the actual farm where you grow your flowers. For others of you, it might be 
let me just think. It could even be, if you are a silk ribbon provider, it could be that you get into a bit more detail as well and you say, you know what, these people are going to access my products through something like Etsy or eBay, right? So you can get as granular as you like in this instance. Just, it's kind of where can customers actually access or buy your product or service. And then building off of that is how are they going to pay you, right? So one question is what formats or payment options are you going to provide to your customers? So I think about our retail shop. We take cash, we take check, we take online bank transfer. Our website uses Stripe, which is similar to PayPal. Um, PayPal is also another option. Right? So there's lots of different options in terms of how those payments can be made. Wedding and event floors. So with our wedding and events business, we take some cash payments, but the majority of our payments are made by bank transfer. Now, can I give you a slight word of warning around taking credit card payments for weddings and events? And... This is only because the amount of money for most wedding and events is so high, right? Like multiple thousands of dollars. Definitely, definitely, definitely worth checking with your bank around the liability of those payments. So because your customer, if you're a wedding and events florist who is not standing there with their customer and they're making a payment, with your customer, you are asking them to make a payment online or you're taking their credit card number over the phone and inserting it into a machine. Definitely check the liability of if, now I don't want to be a negative Nelly, but it has happened. <laughs> and it's, yeah, there's a whole industry out there of people who prey on small businesses. So this is just something to be aware of. If somebody makes a payment on a fraudulent credit card, it's very possible that you are liable. So we no longer accept credit card payments for our big weddings and events. Now we have, as the owners of this business, a threshold that we're willing to accept in terms of if somebody's made a fraudulent payment on a credit card, I should say a payment on a fraudulent credit card, we have a bit of a threshold that we feel okay with in terms of bearing the risk and the responsibility, but just be aware. Now, this is not going to happen every time out, but we have had two instances that I can remember that are quite involved and quite intense and quite convoluted, but of people basically trying to I don't know if launder money is the right phrase, but we have actually had in one instance, and this astounds me that these people would go through this much effort, but we have had an instance where a gentleman actually rang the shop and he also emailed us for wedding flowers. We put the quote together. He actually made the payment. And then immediately once we, he made the payment, the tides turned, the tables shifted, whatever the cliche is, he started to get really aggravated and then his behavior got really weird and our 
radar went off and went, this guy is crazy. And he was also mentioning things that actually just don't exist. Like he was going to go to a like makeshift business this like local council that didn't actually exist <laughs> to report us. So like these little things that just set you off. So it is absolutely entirely possible. So if you are an ever suspect about somebody's behavior, they don't want to meet in person. If they don't want to get on the phone, if they don't respond to your emails, if they get aggravated, just be aware, right? Like in that instance, we actually just phoned our bank and said, I don't care where this money came from. You need to send it back. We don't want to accept this payment, right? So you are entirely allowed to do that. It's a scary proposition and it's really weird because I have such faith in humanity and I totally believe in the goodness of people <laughs> that I cannot wrap my head around the fact that there are people out there that do this for a living. But desperate times call for desperate measures. So and each to their own. So I just, big fat asterisks would say if you're at all suspect around somebody's payment, about taking large payments, about taking large payments by credit cards, follow your instinct, right? Do your research. If in doubt, call the bank, right? Those people want you to get your money because they want to get their money. So that's a bit of a Debbie Downer story, but just be aware, and I know 100% absolutely, if you are in the United States of America, there will be so many precautions and warnings around taking payments by credit card, but I think that some of that is warranted. So, we no longer accept large payments by credit card because at the end of the day, it's very possible that we are out that money. Right? So, just some food for thought. But back to the whole point of this last question was what sort of payment or how are your customers actually going to pay you? And it could be that your website is set up with e-commerce facilities. So you have like Shopify um, or you've set it up so that you can take PayPal or Stripe facilitates your um, credit card payments. All good. It might be that you only take online bank transfers. It might be that you actually take cash payments. The other thing I would highly recommend that you do is do some research into what the bank fees or transaction fees are associated with the different types of payment forms. So one of the reasons that I prefer online bank transfer is because there are zero transaction fees, right? I know that if we're going to take PayPal, if we're going to do credit card payments, that either the bank or the online transaction facility, so PayPal or Stripe, is going to take somewhere between one and two to two and a half percent of the value of that payment. So in most cases, when we used to take credit card payments, our clients were happy to pay a two percent premium because that actual transaction fee, if you're talking about a few thousand dollars, that two percent transaction fee is real money. So I would highly encourage you just to do a little bit of research to understand what sort of fees are associated with the different formats of payment. Yeah? Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so I'm going to wrap this first section up here because that is enough information for today. Don't forget, you can absolutely 100% go back and listen to this podcast as many times as you like.
And you can access this Google Doc at thrivepodcast.co backslash two one. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. And that's exciting. So I hope that this is helpful for you guys. This first section hopefully won't take you very long to fill out. It's definitely, you know, just put some words to paper and give some consideration to these things. I'm really, really, really wanting to encourage you guys to just put some time and energy and thought into setting the foundation for your business before you go out there and just immediately decide that you want to invest in a retail space and sign a 16-year lease and you want to invest $50,000 in equipment and you want to buy five acres of land, right? Give yourself permission to sit down for a week and sort through some of these things before you sign your lease agreement. You will feel so much better about your life choices if you do that. And that is all I have to say for today. If you guys have any questions, comments, observations, don't forget you can always email me and you can do that directly through thrivepodcast.co. There's a little scroll down and you can go submit your idea or feedback here. And as always, don't forget I am on the Instagrams at littlebirdbloom. DM me, comment on a post, answer my questions, whatever you've got all the good things. I am live on Instagram on Monday mornings and Thursday mornings. And I hope you have a wonderful, beautiful day. And I shall talk to you soon. Bye for now.